0: Good morning. My name is Linda, and I get the pleasure of directing the kids' Christmas play again this year. So, I'm going to, now the Christmas play, it is on Christmas Eve. And it's a wonderful thing to have our kids involved in Christmas Eve and, and with a candlelight service. But I want to tell you a little about, about this play. It's called Stellar Christmas, and it's a Christmas story, but you have like some of the stars and um, the moon and the sun telling a little bit of the story too, with a um, person hosting the event and talking through the story of Jesus. You know, Um, I have signups right now for kids' parts. Now, if you're a kid, in the grades, first through fourth grade, or if you know a grandkid that might want to do this, we have some parts out there to be signed up for. They're not lots of lines this year. It's very, very simple. Also, if you have a preschooler, three to five, Julie's working with them on a special song to the tune of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. If you are an empower or journey um, youth, we, your job would be to help with a couple of the songs and motions. And then I have, for you grandparents, I have two reader parts from the Bible. There's two parts to read out of the Bible. I'd like a grandparent to sign up for that. Now, if you decide to sign up for this, I'll let you know the practices are on Wednesday. They're at 530. They're pretty quick, but it is mandatory that you're able to get your child to all those practices. There's about four of them, and then we have a dress rehearsal. The practice schedule is out on the kids' table. So if you guys are interested in that, come see me. Go sign up. And one more thing. Go Chiefs!
1: That might be the last time I let you up there, Linda. <laughs> we're going for the Broncos today, all right? Even though Patrick Mahomes is like the majority owner of the Broncos. Oh, I feel the presence of the Lord, man. Let's just take a moment here. I feel it on me this morning, Lord. I just thank you today, the day that you made, and I pray the Spirit of the Lord here. I thank you, Father, for these times that we're living in. I pray that we'd have hearts and there. Open and attuned and alert to all that you're saying, all that you're doing in our lives. Father, I just thank you. We, can, we, can, we live to see these days, Lord. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I've been watching the events in the Middle East. Like, I'm a news junkie, so I'm watching the news. And if uh, it's not on Fox, I do switch to CNN because I like to watch it. I think it's a fascinating moment in time. And we, we're just, we're living in the last days, man. You better, you better, like, you better be awake and alert. Now, I'm in the series called The Road Less Traveled, The Book of Romans fantastic study. Um, and it, the Lord really impressed me to do it like this. And then the week that I get done, that's when Pastor Dick work will be here from Canada. He blessed us so much last year. I'm looking forward to having him this year. I love Romans. There is so much theological ground that gets to be covered. I just skimmed the surface of it. And I guess what I've discovered is that your theology is only as good as it is practical. Uh, God is not ethereal. God is interested in connecting with people and relationships and the way that plays out in life. And when you get to this port portion of the book of Romans, this is really where you start seeing it take place. You get to Romans chapter 12 and it starts to become super practical. And the, you know, I, I was in this passage um, and I, I, I was just like, th- this is where the grace of God really hits the road for us. So I, I want to just read the uh, first three verses of Romans 14 and I'm going to pray over the message because I, I just feel stirred in my spirit. So here's what the Bible says, receive one who is weak in the faith. What an interesting topic, someone who's weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. That's like the chiefs, Linda. Um, (laughs) For he who believes may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables, unless you're my son. Uh, Let him who eats despise him who does not eat, nor let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Oh, Lord, again, I'm praying. I thank you for the word of the Lord, stirring up, put fire in my bones this morning to teach the Bible. I thank you, Lord, for eyes to see, ears to hear, and revelation, knowledge to flow. Thank you for edifying your people. We pray that in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Anyone ever heard of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones? He was like one of the best British preachers, all right? And uh, he had the story told when he was vacationing in America. He came over here from uh, England, and he went to West Virginia, and uh, he said he did a series of meetings with some wonderful believers, but he was a little annoyed because they kept talking about, you know, those so-called Christians who smoke and drink. And, you know, he, he, that was fine, but it was like every meal, they couldn't end it without talking about so-called Christians who smoke and drink. And the conversation did get quiet when he asked how much that dress of hers cost, uh, because, you know, she'd been saying, you shouldn't smoke and drink because it costs so much money. She had an expensive dress on, that was... <laughs> Well, he he ended up the next week going to Michigan, and he he's kind of amused because he went from one extreme to another. He was greeted at the airport with a man and a cigar, and uh, the guy loved the Lord. Took him fishing at Lake Michigan. After fishing, he asked him if he wanted a glass of whiskey. And uh, these are Christians. They they went to meetings, had great times, and so at the end of the meetings on a Sunday. Uh, he went over to a restaurant there, and, and he saw that this restaurant was serving ice cream. He's just passing through. He said, can we stop at that restaurant? I'd like to get some ice cream. And he said that the, the people hosting him, their demeanor immediately changed. They, they went in there to the restaurant, and he's having ice cream. He said, what's the, what's the problem? They said, nothing. He said, "Now nah, I've been with you for two weeks. I know something's different. What's the problem here? And they said, well, you know, we don't like to buy things on the Lord's day on the Sabbath day. <laughs> and it, it's a humorous story because I guess, you know, we all have strong views about some things, right? And uh, even the uh, the best of believers might have some secret sins. So I could have walked through Romans in, eight we- in six weeks. I was tempted to do that. But uh, I opted for an eight-week outline because um, this is one of my favorite sections of scripture. I don't think I've heard much teaching from it. In fact, I don't think I've taught through this passage before, so that's what I like to do. Um, we, we get to talk about walking with weak believers, walking with the weak. What, what does that mean? How does that work out? You know, the Greek word weak is the word asthenae, are um, believers who are not established in the grace of God. Hebrews chapter 13 says, it's a good thing for the heart to be established in grace. And a lot of what Paul is writing in Romans and in Galatians has to do with people who are caught up in legalism, caught up in religious behavior. You know, we had a guy come to church here one time, and uh, he was from back east, I think D.C. area, and he was from a, a, a UPC background. So that's a super legalistic group of Pentecostals, and these are the people who don't put any makeup on their faces, and they have to have, they wear a certain way. They don't have smartphones or TVs in their homes. Unless you're, of course, the leader of the church, then you have them. <laughs> and uh, he told me that I was one of the most liberal pastors he'd ever had. I'm like, me? I teach directly from the Bible. I've had people walk out of my sermons because they're too conservative for people. I said, what about me as liberal? And he said, uh, well, sometimes you wear jeans at the pulpit. Oh, awesome. I thought that was... <laughs> I've been to other churches where they. We're more than genes, less than genes, I mean. (laughs) So I I think the grace of God is really what distinguishes Christianity from other world religions. You know, the book of Romans is what reveals justification by faith, which points us to the grace of God. And this passage really reveals how the grace of God is applied, how you get to walk it out in your life. It's a fun section of scripture. Romans 14, verse number one, receive one who's weak in the faith, but not over the disputes of doubtful things, things that don't really matter. Like the time of the service, what time is it going to start at? Um, like communion, you know, I don't like those COVID communion cups; they don't taste good to me either. But I—I I mean, like, <laughs> the Lord's not mad about that. <laughs> right. uh, like, you know, baptisms. I mean, I know people who get real hung up on how you did the baptism. Was it in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? Was it in the name of Jesus, or did you do both of them? And I think really what God is looking at is a matter of the heart and faith when you get baptized. It says in verse 2 that one believes that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. This is what my son reminded me of. <laughs> uh, the, in the Bible here, in Romans, there's a dispute over foods, right? So some of the people you know, in, 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 in the Jewish culture, they didn't eat meats that had been sacrificed to idols. Uh, so there was this dispute. you know. They don't, Jewish people don't eat pork to this day. I remember I was in Israel. And I was so excited to be there. We went to a buffet at a hotel. You've never seen such a fine spread in your life. And I found some pancakes, and I found a little piece of sausage, and I found some cereal. And I was so excited. And, and I was started looking for bacon. I was looking over. I need some bacon to go with these pancakes with my eggs. And it took me a few minutes to figure out. Oh yeah, I'm in Israel. There is no bacon. <laughs> we went there in 2013. I remember you know when you're about to get on a 12 hour flight, you know you're trying to think about what to eat in an airplane and we opted for a shrimp salad, which was a fantastic thing to do and I was happy to eat shrimp because I full well knew we' get to Israel there would be no shrimp with there. <laughs> so I, I, I like to eat whatever I want to eat. It's him who does in moderation in verse two verse three he said, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat and let not him who does eat, judge him who eats. It says God has received him. Now you can see the attitude that's at work right here. And here's the thing that you got to understand about walking with people who may not share the same convictions as you do. first thing you got to do is you got to accept one another. We got to accept one another. Acceptance is um, giving consent to someone. Now, there are some things uh, that you might judge and it might surprise you to find out God didn't always judge those things. I was laughing because I was talking to a woman who got really caught up in, in like exploring the Jewish roots of the faith. She went to a potluck and they were all excited for all the things they were going to be eating, but she had pork flavoring in the mashed potatoes and they were not able to eat those mashed potatoes because of the pork flavoring, which I thought was sort of sad because I wouldn't mind some you know pork flavored mashed potatoes. <laughs> you know, Romans 15, one, we'll get there in a moment. It says, we who are strong should bear the scruples of the weak. We, we, we got to walk with them. I mean, Paul said this in, in 2 Corinthians 9, he said, you need to become all things to all men. That's the best way to witness to people. And what acceptance is, is the ability to see truth in a situation. I'm amazed that not everyone is able to do that. And what I really love about the Bible is it paints an imperfect picture of people. It, it gives you really, really, you know, good ideas about people and how we get into all kinds of disputes, like disputes over food. That's what he's addressing here. It's meat that was offered to idols. As I was telling you, I like to eat bacon and I like to eat pork, shrimp. Because, and I eat whatever I want, frankly, because I eat in moderation. I, I don't need to eat everything. I just eat sometimes, and I eat done when I'm done eating. And by the way, you can pray all you want. God is still not going to bless your pork, <laughs> even though, even though I do eat it. Alcohol, man, that that is a real area of personal liberties. Now, that was a personal struggle for me. And the Lord delivered me from that on the 16th of May, 1998. I haven't had a drink since then, praise God. And, uh, you know, the thing I discovered is if you don't drink, you can't get drunk, praise God. (laughs) But you, you would be surprised at how many people in churches... And especially now in leaderships of churches, this used to be a thing that people avoided and it's becoming increasingly acceptable to people as the society has gotten more and more lax about things and as, as holiness and, and righteousness seem to have just been diminished. So I remember there was a German missionary who was bragging about you know, how his liberty was in the Lord and, and he was fundraising, going places and it was shocking to everybody to find out he got a DUI in Oklahoma and it ruined uh, the, fu- the mission that he was trying to work out there. Another dispute people have is over appearances, like tattoos and body piercings. In the ancient world, the reason why people had tattoos and piercings was because they were in slavery. It was a symbol that they were caught up in slavery. And in the modern world, I guess the real something people do to glorify themselves, make themselves look pretty good. And I guess the real question is not whether or not you have a tattoo, it's does the tattoo that you have glorify God? Or does it glorify you? Now, I'm raised a little old school. I don't have any tattoos, which, you know, puts me in like the two percentile of my generation. So it's interesting when I go to swimming pools and I find tattooed people everywhere. God's not really upset about tattoos. The question, as I said, is what did you do it for? What about disputes over holidays? That's the next verses here in Romans chapter 14. They're upset about which days they should celebrate. And, uh, you know, the the Jewish feasts took place... Uh, at various times in the calendar. And they are referred to in the book of Colossians as types and shadows. They're symbolic things that point us to Jesus. And it doesn't mean that you should just, you know, uh, ignore them. I mean, they're beautiful things. In March, we got a Jewish man coming here. We're going to have a Seder meal. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those, but it will be a lot of fun to kind of walk through that. Uh, And Sabbath day, that, that is another fun one that people get in disputes over. I enjoy taking a Sabbath, a day of rest. I think it's the best thing you can do for your body. I find I'm more productive if I've had a day of rest. But I also discover people who get very, very legalistic about it. And as I read my Bible, what I understand is that Jesus actually is my Sabbath. He is the rest. I don't have to work for my salvation. The Lord has accepted me through faith in the grace of Jesus. And how grateful am I for that? Uh, There's disputes over church customs. What should the pastor wear? Well, the Bible doesn't say. In Bible days, they wore togas. Would you like me to wear that? <laughs> what the Bible does teach is that women should dress in moderate modesty. That's what people should dress like. You should have appearance that's becoming to the Lord. What music should we sing? I mean, you want to talk about one of the more criticized areas in churches. We could talk about music. I try to get mixes of different varieties and songs in there as we can. Yeah, but probably the biggest dispute you'll have when it comes to walking with weak people is the dispute you have with people. Oh, Come on, somebody. Because you know what? People got personalities that are difficult. They get outspoken. They get opinionated. And the problem with that is some people's opinions are just that. They're opinions. I like what verse 4 says. Who are you to judge another man's servant? The problem with pharisaical people is that they lack self-reflection. They're very self-assured in their opinions and may not have the ability to see all sides of the coin. You know, the thing about personalities is they produce perspectives. Not everyone's got the same perspective. And what I've had to learn the hard way sometimes is that I don't need to get involved in every dispute somebody has, especially as a pastor. Sometimes less is more. The less I know in a situation, the better off we might be. That has come over time, and I've learned, and it allows me to accept people. I, I can accept anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. I know wonderful Catholics that love the Lord, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Methodists, Baptists, and, and I'm not really looking for differences. I'm looking to see if somebody really has put their faith in the Lord and it's sincere in their life. I can accept people who might have different perspectives and opinions about things. Second way you can walk with uh, the weak, chapter 14, verse 14, verse 10. Look what the Bible says. Why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for a brother? Because he said, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of the Lord. Someone say judgment seat. Ooh, the judgment seat. And then he quotes the book of Isaiah, as I live, says the Lord, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. And it says each of us, that's you all sitting up here in church this morning and everybody driving on the streets today and everyone who's ever lived is going to give an account of himself before God. So he said, let us not judge one another anymore, but let's resolve this not to put a stumbling block or cause, uh, or a cause to fall in our brother's way here. You want to walk with weak people? Here's what you got to keep in mind that we are accountable to God. He said right here, each of us will give an account. There is a day coming in which you are going to give an account of everything that you've done for the Lord. It's sort of like the report card you got from your teacher, which have just been mailed to my house. And I have to answer why some of, of the report cards I have is, is not measuring up to where they need to be. We get to talk about my kids with that. Uh, an account, thats a member like a mathematical term, accounting. And, and in other words, someday you're going to have to produce the receipts of how you spent your life and your time and your activities. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says the same thing that Romans 14.10 talks about. It talks about each of us giving an account on the day of judgment. And what he describes there is what's called the Bema judgment seat. I got to go to Rome this year, been to Israel twice, and on my bucket list is Athens. You get a bus ride over to Corinth and they've got an elevated platform that probably Paul was speaking of when he wrote it. And it's a Bema seat. It's the place where they would stand and pass judgments like a court system in the ancient world. That, that's what he's describing right here. There is a day coming in which the judge will stand on that platform, and you're going to have to give an account before Jesus of all that you've done. And the Bible has a lot to say about that day. The Bible says that that day is going to be a day that's going to be personal, very personal in that day. You're going to have to give an account on how closely you walk to the Lord with him. Did you obey him? When he nudged you, when he prompted you, did you live righteously with the right ethics, the right standards? It's going to be something that's personal between you and him alone, and you'll give an account that day. Now, while it's personal, there are some personal responsibilities you might have. Like you're going to have to give an account of how you raised your family. If you're a husband, God's going to ask you where your wife are, where's your wife, where's your kids, how did you treat them? I mean, that's a personal thing. How how, did you bring them to church? Did you stay faithful? Did you stay loyal? You know, I woke up at three in the morning a few weeks ago. I've been through a bit of a personal battle. And it was a Monday morning. And at 3 a.m., I woke up and I had just this really strong impression in my spirit. And the thought came to me when I woke up was I had been so caught up with a struggle I've been in. That I was neglecting my children, and you know it was interesting. My son ended up having like a sore throat, so he got to hang out with me in the house while we did some remodeling. And he and I hung out and had sandwiches, had a great day. But it reminded me of how you know you're going to give an account for the way you did things. You're going to give an account for how you used your influence. Sometimes, man, I get to be sort of an influential person. I was that way in high school. I have friends that I corrupted, (laughs) man. I got people I introduced to things they had no business being introduced to. But I'm told by some people I get to have influence now in their life. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the influence that I have. I want to use it wisely. The thing about this judgment is it's going to be a fearful thing. That's what Hebrews says. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And you're going to be naked and open to the eyes of him with whom he has to do And he who's got fire in his eyes can look right through your soul and know exactly what's in your heart. That's why when it talks about the beam of judgment seat in 2 Corinthians 5, it talks about the terror of the Lord. Because it's the fear of God that keeps you out of sin. That's such an interesting study, the fear of the Lord. It's an enduring thing, it's a beautiful thing. And I always like to describe it as one of those, you know, like hikes you go on in the mountains. And you might be walking somewhere and. On a cliff, it might look beautiful, but you don't want to get too close to the edge. That's what sin is, man. Sin, you don't want to see how close you can get before you fall off something. It is a fearful thing to have to give an account of your life. And by the way, that judgment seat, it's going to be an eternal thing. You're going to be rewarded with robes of righteousness. The book of Revelation describes it as fine linen. And, and, and it is going to be beautiful and shine. It's mentioned in Scripture and the way the Bible describes them as imperishable. Crowns that never go out of style. They're always going to be in vogue. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be perfect. And it's really the only thing you're going to have to lay down at the feet of Jesus. And so when I get my rewards in heaven, when I want to think about eternal things, I want to have something I can give back to the Lord. I want to be able to have my life reflect the fact that I was accountable to him, that I ran my race. Now, I'd like to get up in the morning and go for you know, a little run. You know, I, might, I might go three miles on a treadmill at 5 a.m., and the guy next to me, he can run me but that doesn't matter because all I have to do is go in and put my score into the machine and it will show my progress and how I've ran my race. I will have to run my race and I want to run it in a way that's well-pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. That's that's the account I have to give. I'm not responsible for how someone else did it. I am responsible for me and what I have to do. Third way you can walk with weak people. Romans 14, 14. Look at this. He said, I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus. There is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. In other words, it's a matter of conscience. My conscience is that I like bacon with eggs. (laughs) And I like donuts too, by the way. I don't know if donuts are unclean, but I like with coffee. (laughs) I don't drink alcohol anymore. My, My conscience won't let me. Verse 15. If your brother is grieved because of your food. You're no longer walking in love. So he said, do not destroy with food the one for whom Christ died. I was thinking about the story I read about of uh, Dr. Charles Spurgeon. You ever heard of Dr. Charles Spurgeon? Well, no man. He was a contemporary of a man named D.L. Moody. And uh, they were good friends and their friendship started out something like this. Dr. Spurgeon enjoyed cigars. You wouldn't think that about him, would you? He loved to have a cigar, and D.L. Moody rebuked him. He said, smoking cigars is a sin, to which Spurgeon replied, there's not one verse in the Bible about smoking, but he said, there is a verse about gluttony, and he poked him in his belly. (laughs) And the two of them became good friends from that day forward. He said in verse 16, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the king, I like this verse, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, joy, and peace. In the Holy Spirit. Here, here's what he's saying right here is you, if you want to keep your witness, if you want to keep your integrity intact, you're going you to have to have good relations with people. You're going to have to accept people. You have to understand you're accountable to yourself and you're going to have to uh, be a person who, who knows how to relate well with other people. He said in verse 18, he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God And approved by men, like Proverbs says, when a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies will be at peace with him. Here's the point we got to make, and this is the huge part of this particular passage of scripture. We can adjust our liberties. You can make adjustments in your life and how you live. You know, the thing about Christian liberty is it's a unique thing uh, in Christianity. I mean, we have freedom in the Lord. And there's plenty of religions in the world where people get caught up in legalism. And I'm grateful for what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there's freedom, there's freedom in Jesus. And the Bible says that we can stand fast in that liberty. So it's through the work of the cross that we are free from the bondage of the law. But you and I have to be sensitive to the needs of other people. We have to be sensitive to what the Lord has put in our hearts. So I like to say it like this. Life is a series of adjustments. You know, I've been at the bottom of the totem pole, and I've been in the top of the totem pole. I've been the guy working in the yard. I've been the guy who's managing everybody. And I've been somewhere in between the middle management where you have to tuck your shirt in and behave properly with people. (laughs) You're going to have to make adjustments with a job, with your plans. Plans don't always work out, do they? Man, sometimes your plans... They just kind of fall apart like when you want to go camping in the middle of a rainstorm, and then you end up having to come back because the campground got flooded. (laughs) Don't ask me how I know that. (laughs) It didn't work out. My plans had to be adjusted. You got to make adjustments with your money. Man, the thing about money, your budget changes. You bought a different house. Uh, You know, your kids get older. You got to figure out the different needs that they have. Investment strategies change. And your priorities change, so you gotta make adjustments. Relationships require adjustments. You know, the the thing about kids is they require anticipatory parenting. And it's amazing to me how fast they grow, because the season of life I was in four years ago is a lot different than the season of life I'm in now. And I had to make adjustments to how that happens to the way it is now. I I had to make these series of adjustments. Marriage is something that requires adjusting, there's fine tuning. I had to do in a marriage many times to make it work. I was going through my notes uh, you know, about like, adjustments I had to make in marriage, and I came across an incident that took place in May. Elizabeth and I were at the preschool graduation with my daughter Abigail. Now, we went to Shiloh Christian Academy, and they had like four sets of you know, children, 30 in each class. And, they were and so I got one daughter singing, and I got a video of her, and guess what? When she's done singing, I'm done watching. So I started playing on the phone there. I, I was looking at the NBA playoffs, getting statistics, He was coming up for basketball, playing a little Tetris game on my phone. And the whole time, my wife is nudging me. Whack, whack, whack. And you know what? I didn't even notice. I hate to tell y'all. Had no clue. Afterwards, she gave me a tongue lashing. Told me... <laughs> now, I had liberty right there, man. I, I'm checked out. I don't care about Daniel's kid. She's, he's also there. I'm really just worried about my kid. <laughs> I, I mean, like... I took my liberty right there. But you know what I found out about marriage? You're going to have to make some adjustments, isn't that right? You have to make adjustments. I can learn. There's room for improvement. I I find things in my life I've done incorrectly, and I have to make changes to it. You know, your friendships require adjustments. They require pruning. Sometimes they got to get cut out. Sometimes they got to grow and develop. Sometimes relationships need confrontation in them. And sometimes you're going to have to wake up and realize you might be the problem in the relationship if you can be honest with yourself, that might be one of the biggest differences uh, that you think about when you pass judgment on somebody. Maybe take the log out of your own eye and you might be able to make a judgment. You might be able to make an adjustment to get better. Certain liberties in your life require adjustments. Um, like me, entertainment. You know, uh, some people are just, they consume copious amounts of like sports. And, and, and it's all they do is, is maybe they listen to music, or they're caught up with so much media and things. And, and, and so, you know, I don't listen to secular music. I like classical music. Sometimes I listen to jazz on NPR after school, but I, I, I don't watch many movies. I don't get caught up in those things. It's, it's not something I indulge in. Food and drink, like we've been talking about. I mean, this is a huge part today. I remember when I was at Orr Roberts University, my roommate was a bizarre character, but his dad was the Episcopalian professor at ORU. And I thought, well, that's an interesting thing. I, I've never d- know what Episcopalians were. Uh, um, and so he, he had Episcopalian services he went to, and he invited me to go, and I thought, I think I will. I'm going to go to the Episcopalian church service with you. And you know, it was an interesting thing because they have a custom, Episcopalians do, after the service, the minister gets to drink all of the leftover communion wine. So there's an old saying, what do you get when you get four Episcopalians together? You always get a fifth. <laughs> Which made me think I want to be an Episcopalian, except I don't drink anymore. <laughs> you know the difference between Baptists and Episcopalians? Yeah, the difference is that Episcopalians will say hello hi to each other at the liquor store. Yeah. Baptists just walk in the aisles. <laughs> I'm just talking about Christian liberties in the world we live in today. Because I have been to Europe where people have different approaches and ideas and liberties than we do in America. I'm an American. I try to live holy in the way that I can in lifestyle, and that means I don't drink anymore. I'm grateful for the freedom I have in Jesus. And I want to be aware of how it's perceived, and I don't want to put a stumbling stone in front of somebody. I can't be an example and be out doing stupid things because then people might think that's acceptable. I can adjust liberties that I have, which means if I have a donut in the morning, I try to hide it in a bag so people don't see it. Fourth way to walk with God. My sin has found me out many times. That's right, Elizabeth. All right, Romans 15, look at verse number two that each of us please his neighbor for good, leading to edification. In other words, you, you need to learn how to build people up and not tear them down. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, he quotes the Psalms, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He's talking about a prophecy about Jesus. I love verse four. Whatever things were written beforehand were written for our learning That we, through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures, might have hope, man. The Bible is my go-to book. When I have a bad day, I get to think about the stories in the Bible. I'm pretty sure I got it better than Job. You know what I'm saying? Or when I get impatient, I think about Abraham. When I'm going through personal battles, I think about David and the battles he fought. Uh, You know, I, I think about how Joshua conquered the promised land. I think about Peter and his big mouth, and it gives me hope. You know, like if Peter did it, I can do it, right? I think about Paul suffering in prison, all he went through. But the greatest hero is the Lord Jesus, which is what it says in verse number five. May the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according. To Jesus Christ, man. I love this. And here's what it tells me when it comes to your liberties is we want to act like Jesus. Isn't that right? I want to act like Jesus. He's the word, become flesh. The Bible is a self-portrait of who Jesus is. I love what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. It tells us uh, that he's the express representation of God. So when you look at the Bible, you will see the will of God in motion you will see how Jesus acted, and I want to act like Jesus. That's what we want to do. We want to act like the Lord. Remember the what would Jesus do bracelets? How many of you remember those? What would Jesus do? And you know that's sort of like a reminder of who he is, but the real question is, what did Jesus do? Man, I think about that. Sinners. He, he, He wasn't afraid of them. He didn't run from them. He was patient with them. That's what I like about what this fourth Verse says, man, it's the patient and comfort of the scriptures. You know, the thing about sin is it produces pain in people. You know that? Sin produces pain. And when you have pain, you need the comfort of the Holy Spirit to be in your life. You need his comfort. And sinners want comfort. Jesus was patient with everybody except with Pharisees, self-righteous people. He extended grace to people who were broken, but to people who were proud, he gave them the law. He pointed them at, at, at their lack of self-righteousness. Yeah, see, great, the law to the proud, grace to the humble. I am grateful that God is patient with me. Are you grateful he's patient with you? Yes. Man, think about how patient he's been with you and how knuckleheaded you've been in situations. I mean, I, I can think about the mistakes I made in life. The, it, it's an amazing thing when, when you're honest with yourself and, and you just discover how good, how amazing, how patient, how comforting the Lord has been with you. And I want to act like that to other people. Uh, Jesus had compassion on sick people. He, he saw someone who was sick, he was moved with compassion. When I see someone who's sick, I have compassion. I, I want to pray for him. I, 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 and I don't stop praying. I, I, I'm like, if you're sick, I love to pray for you. I want to lay hands on you. I want to pray for you. I think about how Jesus did not defend himself. He turned the other cheek and you know, it's an amazing thing about getting older because the older you get, the less you care about what people think. And I, I've discovered, I don't always feel the need to defend myself. It's a beautiful thing about getting older. Now, I have two amazing sisters. And you know what's funny? is that they, they have no problem telling me exactly what they think. They tell me the truth. Uh, they, they will talk honestly to me. They'll tell me about flaws and problems. And you know, what I found out is, it, it's kind of freeing just to be able to accept it just to say, you know what? That's true. That's a problem in my life. That's something I can grow in. That's something I can work at. And it took me 40 some years to even have that concept come to me at all. But that's what Jesus did. He had enough security that when he was assaulted, when he was accosted, he put his hope in the father and he didn't feel the need to defend himself. I love Romans 15 verse 13. These chapters are filled with nuggets. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. If you're believing God for something, you ought to be filled with joy, filled with peace. And you can abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was full of joy and peace. That's what the scripture tells us. Uh, he had peace from knowing that God was his father. You have a father in heaven, that should give you a sense of peace. It should give you a sense of security and confidence. No, I have a father who's in heaven. Jesus had joy from doing the will of God, and the will of God is a satisfying thing. It will soothe you. It will satisfy you. Jesus had joy in being a shepherd. He loves to watch out over his people, and he's willing to leave the 99 and go after the one, and I've seen him do it, man. He loves that. He's a shepherd. He's a good, good father, and he even had joy in suffering. Man, I think about what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. It was the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross and despised the shame that came with it. And that joy that was set before him was you and me. He looked into eternity in the face of suffering. He saw your face, he saw my face, and it gave him the strength and the joy to be able to get through that moment. And it tells me I can have joy anytime, anywhere, any place that I'm in, as long as I'm in the will of God. And I found more peace in the will of God, more joy in the will of God than I found in the world. I've found peace with the liberty that the Lord has given to you. I mean, that's what the passage is about. What will you do with that? Do you understand the influence that you have? Because you have influence. I mean, the influence you have uh, is more than you realize. If you've got children you're carrying a lot of influence. If you work at a job and there's co-workers around you, you're carrying influence. If you are around people at all, you've got friends that are contemporaries in your life, peers, they're looking at you, which means you can make adjustments in your life. If the Lord highlights something to you, maybe it means you got to calm down and stop swearing. I know people who... Are really good at swearing in churches, and it's not becoming. And I, I've said some stupid things, and I've had people tell me that's not the right way to say that, and I can make an adjustment. I don't, I don't drink, but maybe that might mean you don't drink in public. Like, you, you're gonna have to be smarter about how you handle what you perceive to be a liberty. Uh, maybe it has to do with behavioral changes. I, I've, I've been hit over the head recently and discovered, hey, there's some changes I have to make in some of the liberties that I gave myself. I can make an adjustment with that. I can do that because I want to be a better witness. I want to be a better man. I want to walk closer with the Lord. That's what Paul's telling us here. All the theology he got you into manifests in the fact that I I want to be aware of how I'm perceived and how I lead people. Because there's a day coming in which you're going to give an account. What account will you give on that day? And by the way, we're living in a time... When that could take place at any moment, man. I believe that the rapture of the church is imminent. And I don't, I don't know when, it, all, the, all we're waiting on is for the harvest of souls to take place, man. God in His patience, He knows. He knows the, the, the number of people to reach. And when that number is taking place, I'm telling you, this world is about to shift. And, and you're seeing it play out right now in the world, in Israel, man. You're seeing these things come to pass. You're going to have to give an account. You want to be ready to give an account. You know, it's a funny thing. I would have thought as a preacher, people would really like think it's great that I do that. And sometimes they do. But many times I have been ridiculed. I've had people accost me, tell me what a worthless person I am for that. When we started the church, we were at my grandma's house and we parked outside the front there. And a couple of you remember that there was like no places to park And the neighbors would have to drive through a line of cars. And we always worried the neighbors were going to call the cops because there's like no place to go. And uh, I was hearing a story from a friend of mine who was preaching overseas. He said that uh, when, when you're overseas, a lot of times, you know, the churches are small and they get in these street corners and they're stuck in different places where, you know, you get traffic problems. And one guy lived by that house church and he'd walk out every Sunday screaming at the church people. You're parked everywhere, screaming at him, hollering at him. And and one day when my friend was preaching there, that guy walked out and had a heart attack on the street and died right there on the spot. So when people don't respect the church and when people don't fear God and they don't respect his people, they got to watch out because judgment day is coming. And you better be ready to give an account, man. You better be ready because I'm telling you, the time is quickly coming. We heard that last, we said it last week, remember? Uh, that now our salvation's nearer than we would first believed. So I just want to give you a moment here. Are you ready to give an account? What will your account be? How clean is your conscience when you got to stand before God one day? Is it clean, or is there some questions in your life? Yeah, I just want to give you that opportunity. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And then we're gonna pray. If, if you can't say, "Man, my, my heart is right before the Lord," I, I want to have a clean conscience when I go to Him through His blood and through my life. I, I, I need to repent for something. To get right with the Lord, I want you to put a hand up and I want to pray with you there's a day coming. Yeah, I see that hand. All right. Let's just take a moment. I see that hand. Thank you. Let's, let's pray for the, the blood of Jesus that cleanses us to be here in this moment. In fact, you know what? Just stand up with me right now. Let's stand up. Let's stand up. Father, I just thank you. Mm. I thank you for the precious blood of Jesus. Thank you for his blood that cleanses us and washes us. I thank you, Lord, that mm, it can cleanse a conscience. It can purify a soul. Father, I pray for the purifying, cleansing blood of Jesus. I pray for the conviction of sin to come upon your people. And I, I, ooh, I pray, Lord, that you would just nudge us gently and that we would be able to heed your rebuke, that we could turn at your rebuke. And as Proverbs 1 says, you'd pour your spirit out upon us. I thank you for spiritual manifestations and spiritual breakthroughs and spiritual encounters and a revelation of who you are because we have been sensitive to the Holy Spirit and we've listened to his warning and his heeding in our life. And I thank you for mm, hearts that are open, open to receive the Lord. Mm, open in Jesus' name. I thank you. Mm, I, have, I, I get to do something a little fun today. Um, and I want you to just bear with me for a moment. Um, is it all right, Lori, if I pray for your husband? All right, so I just feel the peace of the Lord here I was talking about this week. Now, after the service today, my friend Lori, her husband is a wonderful man. Uh, he was the CFO at the Billings Clinic. Uh, he's not a Christian. Now, he's actually uh, from Gaza. Uh, that's the part of the world where there's a lot of problems. He's one of the very few people that ever make it out of there. But he's, he he's just not a Christian. He's got some hatred in his heart for what's going on in the world right now. It's a real struggle for him. He he had a dream that he was tormented. He was suffering and shaking in bed and his wife, Lori, rolled over and she just held him and she prayed in the Holy Spirit. And he woke up in the morning. He said, I don't know why I was so tormented, but the only thing that comforted me was when you prayed. And I just believe he's here he, I want to pray. party back there today, and uh, I want to pray for him. I want to pray for. Him. I want to call out his name. I want to pray for the Lord to touch him. He, he, he's he's in a unique spot in life, one of the few people to ever make it out of the Gaza Strip, and, and to be able to be here in America. And I just feel like it's his time for salvation. So let's let's take some Christian liberty, and let's pray for a man to be saved, because yeah, you know, it's great we have a church. Why not extend it to people who don't know him? be open to him Lord will you come out here come here Lord let's pray I right, reach your hand up. Father in the name of Jesus we're praying for Allah God I, I have such I have such love for that man so Lord I pray his name I pray that Allah I'll would know you I pray for revelation knowledge to come into his heart I pray for this woman God give her the strength and the wisdom mm, and I thank you for the grace of God that's in this church I pray in Jesus name for hearts and minds to be open Uh Father, I thank you for all, the, uh, all all those Muslims who will be here today celebrating. I pray for all of them that are going to be here in this building. I pray they come here, they'd feel the love of the Lord, they'd feel the peace of God. I pray that you reveal yourself to them supernaturally in dreams and visions, give them peace. And we just declare the love of Jesus upon them, not judgment, not hatred, but we declare the love of the Lord in this house and in their lives. And I pray, Lord, for Lori and her family to be witnesses in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be able to have a church where you can uh, open it up to people. Have You got a bigger picture. I was telling people, man, I've I've been in Nepal with Buddhists. I've been to India with uh, Hindus, and I've been to Pakistan with Muslims. And I I think I like the Muslims the best. (laughs) Believe it or not, they're really gracious, kind, wonderful people. And I'm excited to come down and hang out at that birthday party. So. I love you, man. I love you all. I feel the peace of the Lord. I feel his peace. I feel his grace. Let's just take a moment. Father, I thank you for your peace. I pray. If you need prayer this morning, the altars are open. And we know we love you. I thank you. The Lord bless you and keep you as you go today. Make his face to shine upon you. And I pray, Lord, that we would be able to be people who can be witnesses in the world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said, amen. I love you all, man. We will catch you all next Sunday. God bless you.